Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that will draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Up podcast. In this episode, I have Jeff Lund from the Mediocre Alaskan on to talk to us about just some different Alaska hunt opportunities. So listen up for maybe something you want to do in the near future. Uh, I know it's uh, turkey season going on right now, shed hunting season going on, and I haven't done a single thing with turkey season. Uh, However, uh, next week's episode, I am going to do a, not next week, the following, uh, third week in, in what month is this? It is May, third week in May. Uh, I'm going to do a little episode on selling your antlers and some of the insider things that a seller uh, does and can do to make sure you do or don't get a fair fair price. So just some of those things I want to prepare you for for selling if that's what you want to do but just a fun little episode there but for now we're going to learn about hunting in alaska enjoy and don't forget please subscribe like follow on whatever platform allows you to do so thanks again All right, Jeff, thanks for jumping on the podcast with me today and uh, kind of talking hunting Alaska. There's uh, a lot of people with those big dreams, and myself included. I'm not looking at booking my hunt tomorrow or even in the next two years, <laughs> uh, but there's uh, that in the back of, I think, a lot of, a lot of folks' minds. It's almost like the Western hunt is one of those that people just like, oh, I can't wait to do a Western hunt someday. The pinnacle seems to be the Alaska hunt. Go up, go up where you are, and go go into some some uh, the last frontier, I guess you could say, and and jump yeah. into some some real wild country, some massive country. That's all I all I hear from my my buddies that have done that is is how humbling that country can be, and how how big it is, and how gorgeous and and almost spiritual. So um, yeah. yeah, if you would real quick introduce yourself, we've we've uh, I had you. Uh, uh, are you? I was on your podcast a while back, so I'll have you introduce you to to my guests. All right, uh, my name is Jeff Lund. I live in Ketchikan, Alaska. I grew up on Prince of Wales Island, uh, which is made popular by Steve Ranella and uh, Randy Newberg. Used to do some some hunting there, and now he does his black bear up stuff uh, a little bit north of that. So um, live here in Southeast Alaska. I teach at a high school. I'm a freelance writer, do an outdoor column for the Juno Empire, and I wrote a book, uh, A Miserable Paradise, Life in Southeast Alaska, which was released last April, so with the one-year anniversary of that. But yeah, podcast is called The Mediocre Alaskan. People from Alaska down south talk Alaska hunts, western hunts, uh, eastern hunts, entrepreneurship, a whole bunch of stuff. So, so it's fun to, to meet some new people and, and talk about stuff and and share things that, uh, that I can that are valuable. Yeah. So what's your kind of, what's your main hunts that, uh, really kind of are your, 
like this is what I do every fall or this is what I do every couple of falls and and what do you kind of what do you kind of thrive on uh every every year I, I i think about the the spring bear hunt and i've gone on quite a few hunts i've only taken uh two black bears and one uh one grizzly bear but uh that's just kind of the spring program you start thinking about uh, those nice tidal flats and you start thinking about black bears emerging from that and you know if you've watched um uh, meat ear or you've watched um randy newberg you've you've seen that really portrayed as a as a fun hunt rowing around looking at the tidal flats so uh, that is pretty fun even if you don't actually go and and shoot one you know going out and just being out there it's 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 a pretty cool experience and then over the summer put up the game cameras and i think my favorite would be alpine blacktail deer so that starts in, in August and the season runs until the end of November where I'm at. There are some different seasons um, based on the unit. And Alaska does their, their things a little bit different. And like Wyoming, you have to choose by species and then see what unit uh, everything is available in. Whereas Alaska it goes by, by unit. So if you're looking at, for instance, I live in unit two. And so I can just go to the regs and I can look at what is available in unit two whenever I want to hunt uh, or unit one. So just look at the regs. Here are the seasons for bear. Here's the season for deer. It's a lot easier to kind of figure out. And uh, the vast majority of, of the tags I could ever want are, are over the counter. There are a couple really difficult ones to draw that would be pretty epic. There's a, a doll sheep hunt up north. That'd be great. Uh, buffalo hunt and then a mountain goat hunt down here but i can do mountain goat over the counter too and i can do doll sheep over the counter too if i wanted so uh but the big ticket items are are bear and deer for me those are kind of my favorites but i've added caribou the last two years and that's that's a pretty fun hunt too so you're choosing a unit first is basically kind of the a good strategy to go into into application season yeah it's uh the application season starts in um November closes in December, then you find out in February if you drew anything. But there are so many over-the-counter tags that you know you can not draw the premium tags and still you know over-the-counter. And all the people are doing. You mentioned this earlier when we were off-air about caribou becoming just a massively popular thing. People buying their caribou tag over-the-counter for six hundred fifty dollars, flying up to Fairbanks, and then getting on the haul road and hunting the haul road. If you're within a five-mile corridor of the Alaska pipeline, it's archery only. But outside of that, you can use your rifle. So people have been just – that's the thing. But it's pretty expensive. You know, $650 for the caribou tag, $160 for the license. Your airfare, if like you choose a Denver, um, Denver to Fairbanks is going to run you between $650 and $1,200, depending on – on when it is, um, you can get, you know, the premium flights that get you in at a reasonable hour are obviously going to be uh, more expensive. And then the cheaper ones, sometimes you have to lay over in Anchorage or something like that. There's an added cost. Uh, and then just, uh, you know, car rentals are crazy right now. So in order to oh, get really? a truck and you have to get a truck that has two spares to take to the haul road, um, yeah, that's going to run you $3,000. A buddy of mine are, are we're going to do that hunt and, uh, we're going to take a lot of time with it. Though. We're going to just kind of enjoy the experience. But, yeah, our, our truck rental cost uh, $5,000. $3,000. Sorry, $3,000. Jeez. So, Jeez. Yeah. So the, uh, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even guessed a car rental would have cost maybe even more than, like, a little puddle jumper. Getting... Yeah. Wow. Well, and that's the, that's the thing. You have to kind of we, – we looked at that a little bit, too. Like, we can get Alaska Airlines up there to, to Fairbanks – for i'm not sure what it was i think i used miles so it didn't cost anything but then from that point do we want to split a fly out somewhere you know get on one of those uh super cubs get flown out dropped off or do we just want to drive it and figure let's just drive it you know it'll be a little less expensive but we're going to see the whole terrain we'll be driving through a couple different units and you know we'll have as many over-the-counter tags as we can get to to hunt that whole way up and fish some of the creeks and just really enjoy it. I know some people go up there and they have four or five days of hunting because it's a week long trip. And so they're kind of panicked and they really got to, you know, move fast, but 
we're um we're gonna go for 10 days and just really enjoy it get up there see some friends in fire in fairbanks and just uh, have a good time what what do you think the draw is with this the caribou species like desire why is that blowing up as as such a popular thing and am i right that there maybe is some population concerns are there like the the herd herds are lessening or my way off uh it kind of depends like you have massive land you know we're talking about a couple of units up there that are north of the arctic circle and i think that's one of the reasons why it's so popular is because you can drive to it and you get to get north of the arctic circle so that in itself is a mega trip. That's something that you would want to do just as a person, right? You just right. want to go up there and, and see that and ultimate road trip. Um, just see that northern tundra. Amazing. Uh, the caribou herds are massive herds and they are migratory. And um, the migrations have been quite as as nice for some of the local areas um, and there's actually a large portion was just shut down by the um, federal subsistence board to non-federally qualified hunters. So unless you are a local in a rural community, um, you cannot hunt anymore. And they just, just shut that down. And that was in unit 23, which is pretty unfortunate because there, there's still a very nice population of, of caribou in that area. I've never been up there. That's in the Cotsview area. Um, yeah. but, uh, there's different herds. The herd that I hunted last March, um, the 40 mile herd had, uh, decreased around 7,000. Um, but now it's up upwards of 80,000, which is why they have two hunts. The first time is a 5,000 animal quota and it could change from year to year. Uh, but then they have a second hunt cause they, they want to cull the herd a little bit just to make sure there's enough food to go around and we're talking massive expanse there's there's nothing out there it, it is just desolate territory um but you, there's still concerns about winter kill and whether or not there's going to be enough food for them to get through and so the, they allow a second hunt for residents and so i did that last march and it was negative 30 degrees but they do the second hunt so that people don't have their all-terrain vehicles their four-wheelers and they're ripping up the tundra which is you know obviously damaging to the to the ecosystem and to the food for the caribou. Uh, but that the 40 mile herd is doing very, very well. Hmm. Uh, it's definitely recovered, like I said, from, and they've, you know, up, upwards of, of 80,000 from, from down to, to four or 7,000 in the, in the seventies or eighties. So that's a, a great success story. And they've taken care of the predators and they, they've managed the predators and um, they've managed their herd well. So people are able to, to get their caribou. And, um, so that's good. Uh, the herd that we hunt up, um, on this, uh, hall road hunt is a different herd and the numbers are, you know, they're, they're pretty, they're fairly stable. Um, and you know, they're just kind of around. So you just go up there and try to make it happen. And I've, I've heard the archery hunt on that hall road is kind of a bring a bunch of arrows kind of hunt. <laughs> and, uh, see it is that is that pretty uh pretty doable archery hunt is it is it pretty darn challenging what what would you say difficulty level is on that i've never done the the archery one the the caribou hunt that i did last march was a rifle hunt it was negative 30 so it was just a go out there and you're getting meat um type hunt so this is maybe my first trip on the hall road but i have some buddies who've done it and it's uh it can be pretty windy and it can be tough to make stocks. The the territory is, is, is pretty tough. I think some people go up there and they expect that there's just going to be animals everywhere, but they encounter a lot more people than they expect. Hmm. Uh, but a lot more people just kind of driving the road and looking for something that's really close and then trying to make a stock on it. So I think uh, there are people that have more success if they're prepared to, to walk a little bit. And that's what my buddy and I are going to do. We're going to, we're going to walk and, um, and just see if we can make something happen. But I also think that there's a level of bravado for going. And if it doesn't work out, you don't have to worry about bringing meat home. You know, you can still say you did it. You can still sure. say that, you know, you're, you know, you're a badass or whatever. So you've done that. And, you know, people, 
I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, I don't trash on people, but you, you see it every year. And I, I've talked to my students about it where people get pretty upset if they don't catch a 50 pound King salmon because they came to Alaska and they paid good money. Yeah. And so they're frustrated. Um, and other people just really enjoy the experience. So I think some people are a little bit desperate for success. So they might be slanging arrows. You know, I've seen some videos on YouTube of people shooting, you know, 90 yards at a pretty stiff wind and, yeah, you know, whatever you can shoot, whatever you can shoot, you know, that's, that's up to you. Um, you know, who am I to judge? But I, I do think there's that element and there's also the element of people who just enjoy it. And they go up there and they can never, never draw the bow and it never really presents itself and they can still be happy about it. So yeah. I'm, I'm anticipating seeing both, both, both types when we're up there. Yeah. We talked about that uh, a few episodes ago with my buddy, Danny hunting in Spain and dealing with guides that uh, you, you want to respect them and and uh, you get a lot more when you're you just are, ex- enjoy the experience if you are going into it with a, just I want to learn I don't really have unbelievable expectations I don't need to shoot a I don't even know what a trophy class caribou is but i'm gonna say a 350 bull elk (laughs) you don't have to shoot a a 200 inch mule deer um you go in and you just want to have a good time and learn and enjoy the new the culture and if you don't have those those expectations uh, other than having an adventure uh you're going to do pretty good Uh, or yeah you need to have that just like adventure mindset whereas uh danny was telling us about stories from the guide that those those uh, folks that were disappointed, they go up to an ibex after they just shot, and they were disappointed because it was broken off or uh, not as big as they thought. So um, I, I just can't imagine traveling that far. If you wanted to shoot something huge and big, I mean, we'll dish out the money for it, or um, stay local or stay somewhere close and and really hunt a piece of ground and, and figure out the animal. You're going on an adventure hunt. Is kind of what yeah. I, how I look at that, and how Danny kind of opened up that mindset of it's an adventure and, and going to learn something. Just like you said with your your buddies, of the expectations are go to see some new ground and a new experience and have a good time. So I think that's I think that's a great way to look at it, and I'm glad you said it in that way. It's kind of echoes what Danny shared. Yeah, I think we we all are tempted at some point to lose sight of what's important, but I think the thing is how quickly we remind ourselves or how long does it take? You know, you get frustrated. That's just going to happen. But you know, if you can self-correct pretty quickly rather than, you know, taking days or, you know, to, to kind of figure out, Oh wait, okay. I should, I should actually be enjoying this. So I, I, uh, at a recent sports show, I won a free shoulder mount, uh, deer, antelope, whatever. Uh, And so not a elk or anything too big. So it almost like put this pressure on me of, oh, now I got to go find something to mount. And I almost don't like it. I would absolutely love to fill that with a giant mule deer. I got an Eastern Colorado hunt planned with big mule deer all around there. I would love to fill it with that. But that expectation of like, oh, now I need to mount something or I have the ability to for free. it, It, uh, that's a weird feeling. And I wonder if that's a similar feeling people get when they, when they go on these big adventure hunts of, I got to shoot something big or I, or I, um, blew my 30 points on Arizona strip mule deer tag. I got to go shoot something big. Uh, and, and you come away just not with that same adventure of something you waited 10, 20, 30 years for. So, yeah. I think part of it too is how much you talk the trip up. If you if you're trying to make your friends jealous and you're saying, "Oh, I'm going to Alaska, going to Alaska, oh, this big caribou," you know, and so mm-hmm. you kind of hype it up, and all of a sudden you've been talking so much trash that if it doesn't happen, how are you going to look to your friends? Yeah, um, I think that's a that's a thing, and I think that's definitely one of the fishing things again in Southeast with people that come up and they brag about going up to Alaska. They've made it happen. They want everybody to be jealous. But if they don't start catching the fish, it's going to make them jealous, and they're worried maybe on the backside if if people are going to say, "Oh, what happened to the big fish? Where are all those big fish you talked about?" But yeah, so yeah, I, your friend gotta, group can have a, a big impact too. Yeah, I and I, I got a, a guy that chatted a lot with hunting, and I kind of slowed down on 
chatting with him about hunting recently. I don't know if he listens or not, but um, one of the big influences on that was just how he looked at hunting. And it he, he just went to Alaska, blew a ton of money on a doll sheep hunt. And the buddy that went with him, was it was like a spiritual moment being up in, in absolute God's country, seeing the vastness and, and feeling so small and vulnerable. Uh, had an amazing time. But it was miserable. It was one of those rainy, horrible, hard hunts from what I understand. And and the the responses when he got back was just this, it sucked. It was horrible. It was the worst hunt ever. <laughs> and I was just like, you can't see any, I didn't get into it. It was like, you can't see any good. Even, and I've said it over and over, some of the greatest memories you have are uh, when you're in absolute misery. With that same guy, yeah. we were hunting some, uh, rail, some near some railroad tracks, or I don't know where we were, but um, I don't think you can hunt railroad tracks. Maybe we weren't supposed to be there. I don't know, but they were covered <laughs> in like three foot of snow, and we were hunting pheasants in South Dakota. It was just kind of stupid, but we were post holing up to our thighs with shotguns trying to find a stupid bird, and it was miserable. Not the most miserable hunt I've ever been on, but we got done, and I still remember that hunt. We didn't shoot a thing. I don't know how many other times I've walked through a, a field and not shot something. And I don't remember it, but I remember that time that it was miserable and horrible and we maybe didn't see anything or we, we the weather was just rough. So I, I, I do see, uh, maybe some of the challenge with, with hunting in Alaska or the elements that, that seems like you said, negative 30. That's a that's a cold hunt. You better be prepared, and there's a level of preparedness that we don't need to get into in this episode. But um, some of the some of the toughness is there is is that a necessary thing, or is there plenty of hunts that that uh, are like in the lower forty eight that you can just go out and have a good time and and uh, be pretty safe and or or is is Alaska as wild as it seems on TV, where you've got to you've got to be prepared and um, in the best shape of your life. And talk, talk to us a little bit about that. It, it really depends. And it's, it's funny because you can hit the weather perfectly and then it's all good. I don't know if you are familiar with, uh, Brad Brooks from Argali, but he's been to, to Kodiak twice and he's made short films and both times he's been there. The weather has been unbelievable. So he has gotten, he, every time I talk to him, I said, dude, you still have not had a real Alaska deer, Sitka blacktail experience. Because you have not been weathered in. He just flies in on the float plane. They land. They shoot big bucks. And then they leave. Dude, that's <laughs> not really how it is. And he keeps laughing. But um, So you can have an unbelievable experience. Get flown out. Perfect weather. Um, do you watch uh, Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 and their Destination Elk stuff? A little bit, yeah. I I did watch the, the Alaska one. That, that full yeah. episode they just posted of. I just thought. So I just did a shed hunt and I just nailed it. I found, I had the best day of shed hunting in my life on Saturday. I found five fresh, fresh, fresh six point bull elk sheds. And it was just an awesome day. Hiked like 16 miles, 13 miles is what it was. And that, that was only like 50 pounds on my back. Those guys had, I don't know, 60 pounds, let's say just to camp. And then the steepness of that country looking for that, for an elk in Alaska. And as they're flying out hearing the, the story or the success from the pilot saying, yeah, this is not a very successful hunt. Um, good luck. Uh, clarity's an issue and so on. Like what a, what a punch to the gut to, for, of your motivation. But that was yeah. a pretty incredible episode. It's funny because it started off so nice, and that's what happens a lot. Um, you have a nice day or a nice couple days, a nice stretch, and other times you have these sucker holes where you think it's going to clear up, but it doesn't, and it just stays nasty for a while. And that hunt I've been on before, and luckily for us, we got flown in, and we walked uh, seven miles in each direction each day, and we didn't see anything. And it was a little bit later. He did the archery hunt. That's uh, that's earlier in the season when they're when they're in rut. We went in October when the weather is usually bad, but it was actually beautiful. But the elk had kind of moved down into the timber at that point, so we didn't see anything. And uh, we we came out. But uh, my high school 
uh, basketball coach did that hunt the year after I graduated and I got just a massive, massive elk. And, um, he had a great experience too, but there are a lot of people who even on blacktail hunts, I've done blacktail hunts where you're up the mountain and then it just, it just fogs in and it's soupy and you don't have the same level of, of weather connection. You're not really sure what it's going to be. If it's, if it says 50% chance of rain, does that mean it's going to rain 50% of the day or there's a 50% chance it will rain at some point during the day? So it can be really miserable. It can be really, really, it can get really dangerous. And, and that's the thing yeah. about that, that hunt where, where they were is that you're on an island and there's nothing else there. There's no rescue. Uh, it's Coast Guard if you need it. And things can get, can get pretty south pretty quick. And hopefully, and I've, I've chatted with Corey about this a little bit. Um, I, I think he did a great job of, of telling about the reality of the hunt. And it is horrible and dangerous, potentially. But, you know, that's what attracts some people. And some people would will, you know, apply for that. Maybe they draw it and maybe they go there. And maybe they're pretty overwhelmed. And when you don't have cell phone service and all of a sudden you're isolated. And if you do have to stay in the tent for an extra day or two, because they can't come pick you up like that's can be tough for people to, to take. So no, um, it can be every bit out. as miserable and, and, and dangerous. And, you know, if you're waiting for three, my, my buddy Tyler up in Fairbanks, they got flown out and they were out on a sheep hunt and they were unable to be picked up for another seven days. So they had seven more days out there, oh, wow. um, you know, just trying to make the food last. And it was horrible because that no one could, could fly in and pick them up. But you know, they've been on 13, 14 sheep hunts. It wasn't, uh, I mean, it, it sucked it a whole nother level of sucking, but you know, if you're Alaskan, you've been through some, some ter- terrible things. Maybe it, uh, preps you for it a little bit. Wow. And I, I, I could tell even from the video of that elk hunt that thought that elk was huge, like the body. Yeah. And I've heard that the elk size of the elk is just massive, massive elk. Is that? Yeah, it's it, it's like a cow. It's like a cow with horns. And again, I I, I didn't see any when I was there, um, but I've seen friends with pictures who've, who've gotten a big elk, and and it's just they 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 are massive. So we did a episode quite a while ago with uh, Dylan from Onyx, and he had just gone on that blacktail hunt with the, the Hush Crew. Um, yeah, I don't know if you watched that, but that was. I really enjoy on X videos. They, I, I think they're really informative. They do an excellent job, but, um, and I watched a few of the hush stuff here and there, but they, uh, they did that hunt and he just talked that up. And, and like you just said a little bit ago, that, that black is kind of one of your favorites. What is the draw? What's the, why, why is that black tail hunt so fun? I think for someone who, grew up here and who lives here it's just kind of a it's the local hunt you know if you talk to people in sure. in wyoming you know may mule deer if uh you're in kansas it's whitetail and i think it's it's kind of that familiarity it's it's what's around and it's what you can do so many times we get four tags and they're over the counter and so you just do it so much more and it's so different and so fun and you feel like you have stuff figured out a little bit there you don't necessarily have that same level of of desperation where, you know, you have to go out. Got my, uh, my wife got her PhD university of, of Wyoming. And so while she was working on that, I went down there uh, for a couple of mule deer seasons and we'd see how people would, and for elk too. And people would go out there four or five days before, you know, if the opener was on a Thursday, they'd be out there the weekend before that claiming their spot, putting out their fifth wheel and, and just, leaving going back into town for work and then coming back for the to the opener and just that that's just that's crazy hmm. you know yeah. your season is shorter there's just that desperation and there's you know i have to get it done i only have this amount of time and there's gonna be so many other people around and i have to do all this stuff whereas up here it's just such a nice freeing activity in august you go up there on the mountains and it's beautiful i mean it could be horrible and windy and rainy and you might get darn near hypothermic but it just takes you to such beautiful country and then september's not 
as good of a month. They kind of moved down in the timber and can kind of hang out, stop moving as much, and they put on fat for the rut. And then you got October, so you hunt them during October and November for the rut. So, and you don't have to just, haul out the haul out an animal, pack out an animal the size of a moose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you 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 can shoot one, and you can uh, bring the whole head back and all the meat that you're required to, to take. And yeah, you're not. It's 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 heavy pack, but. It just gets you outside, and there's so many different opportunities, and you're not pressed for time because you have a four month season. It's, it's just a it's just a great thing, and I think the uh, the, the allure of, of people coming up here is just it's it can be a little bit more affordable. Your your deer tag is three hundred dollars. Your license is one hundred and sixty um, over the counter again, and you know I think it's I think a lot of people for the, that deer is one of their first flyouts. Um, doll sheep is super expensive and you have to have a guide some of these other hunts you have to have a guide and you know the brooks range can seem pretty daunting moose can seem pretty daunting but uh black-tailed deer just seem to be a little bit more accessible maybe and that's why people are really uh, getting after it but you know people love deer hunting and blacktail's on the list so, yeah. so i think that's why they come up uh, let's take a real quick break this is a good transition i want when you get back i want to talk about just navigating some of the the resources of, of where to even start. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I've told people that uh, just to navigate the, uh, maybe my own state's Game Fish and Parks page, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife page, I mean, it just takes a little bit of homework and you can figure it out. I have contacted Alaska Fishing Game and requested some books and like I thought I was going to do a hunt maybe five years ago or something like that and I requested it all and it just life happened it wasn't a good time and I kind of came away with man I need to be a lawyer to understand some of this is it is it similar to kind of some of the Colorado South Dakota some of these other states where it's like once you dive into it you kind of figure it out or is it kind of is it really that challenging Maybe it's because it's what I'm used to, but Alaska seems to have it so easy and so figured out compared to different states. I still don't really understand, um, like Wyoming. That's that's where my wife and I have, have done some some hunts down there. But and the point systems and the, like we don't have points up here. It's just you you just either hunt it or you don't. So <laughs> yeah. Um, I may have misspoken earlier. I used to live in Unit 2, but I live in uh, Unit 1A right now where, where Ketchikan is. So I'm just scrolling at the regs right now. Uh, unit 1, uh, resident, I can get two black bear. It's a harvest ticket from September 1st to June 30th. Um, I can scroll down. The next thing is the brown bear, grizzly bear. Uh, 1A, 1B, 1C, both resident and non-resident. We can uh, an over-the-counter. Uh, registration tag and there's a couple dates for that i could scroll down to deer uh two bucks august 1st through november 30th mountain goat i can draw one dg005 or 006 i can register for one or yeah those are my two options so you have your harvest ticket which you can just go to the fishing game and you can get that or you can download that uh on the on the website i'm pretty sure the registration ones you have to go in person and it's kind of like an over the over the counter, 
if there's enough of those registration tags, then you can just get one. And then you have the draw and there's no points with the draws. You can put in for mountain goat tag, not draw it, draw it, but there might be another one that's uh, registration. Uh, but those require guides. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's pretty, pretty easy to okay. just kind of look at uh, scroll through, look at the unit um, and see what's available. So if someone were to want to come to Alaska, I think maybe either choose location or choose species. So if you're looking at, okay, I want to go to moose hunt, you're not going to be in Southeast Alaska. So you're going to look at some of those, um, like, a, can you afford a fly out? Can you, are you want to do a float? So, um, you want to try to do a, a float and pick up type thing or a fly out, uh, float. You know, you're looking more at the, uh, 13, 14, Central Alaska, whatever is kind of in that area, 13, 14, and just read through the regs. What are the moose um, regulations? What are the seasons? And then look at Onyx and figure it out. And Onyx is great up here, but most of the land is public anyway. Um, oh, or sure. you can choose yeah. by, uh, by location. Say, I want to go to Southeast, and I want to go to Ketchikan, so look at 1A. I want to go to Prince Wales, look at Unit 2, check it out. I want to go to Sitka, look at Unit 4. So, uh, just a lot easier to, to choose either a species or a location and have it all um, just easier. You want to go next to it. You know, The difference between Unit 1 and 2 is just next page. Uh, that's, that's good to know. And, and really, I'm saying that about my own state. People say it's confusing, but then, or in Colorado and Wyoming and and Montana's a new one. Me and uh, a, a buddy uh, just said last night, hey, let's look at Montana. We both have zero bonus points. That's what they have. Um, let's uh, let's plan a hunt. We'd like to go do a mule deer hunt in Montana. I mean, it, we even thought, man, it seems so confusing that maybe that even limits some of the hunters <laughs> that go. <Yeah>. So <laughs> it could be, could be good, but it, and Montana is good. It is a, it's a great hunt to, to great state to hunt. So we're looking into that and everything foreign just seems scary and big and confusing. So it's just something yeah. we're not used to. So I'm glad you, you said that to lay that out. What, uh, what would you suggest say for guys like me? And I think that'd be a lot of the listeners that, that we're not planning on coming up there five different times, six different, 10, 10 different times. We're going to be able to maybe do that once or twice in our life and go up there and do a, do a fun hunt. Um, what, what would you suggest maybe looking into some of those limited draw areas or the over the counter? What, what do you see as maybe having, allowing a hunter to be maybe successful and, and fill a tag or, uh, just to have an amazing hunt. What do you? What would you suggest for someone like me? Uh, I think the expectations are the biggest thing. And if you are only go, going to go to Alaska once, what Alaska do you want to see? Do you want to see a southeast Alaska that's kind of raining a lot more, maybe comparable to Washington, Oregon, as far as just rain and, and temperate rainforest type? Or do you want to go to iconic Alaska above the Arctic Circle, see the tundra, see the caribou. So, you know, if you only have one trip, what Alaska do you want to see? And then what animal do you want to go after? I think some people would say, you know, I, I went up to Alaska once and I got a deer, but yeah, you know, I just, brown bear would be crazy or, you know, caribou or moose. And I wish I would have gone after one of those things, but that stuff can just be, you know, it can be so cost prohibitive. So, yeah. um, and I think also too, if are you okay with going in on an epic hunt and not getting anything? Exactly. Like um, you were it can be expensive, yeah. So uh, I think there's not really a, a part of the state that's necessarily easier than others. Uh, and it's so weather dependent. It's you really don't have a a slam dunk, and you can't build points, and you might put in for a nice mountain goat tag and and draw it but then you got to get a guide or you know you put in for the doll sheep and you draw the toke tag and you know now you gotta you gotta get a guide or a, a brown bear tag you need a guide so 
Um, there's some over-the-counter opportunities. Just look through the, the regs and kind of see what most appeals. Maybe have one or two species, one or two locations, or maybe top three species and see if it overlap a little bit. So, And then, you know, whether or not you can afford it and what are you going to sacrifice between now and then if you're taking three years out, you know, save the money and then try to make it happen. I, I kind of feel like a moose float trip would be kind of what my my dream hunt would be caribou absolutely I mean, they're they're really cool i'm not going to turn that hunt down if it if were, were given to me but if i had to choose one i think it would be uh moose I mean, a sheep hunt something that's that's absolutely physically daunting uh horrifying to me <laughs> the the uh I'm not like that crazy about heights. I don't have that issue, but, but I've been on some steep slopes and my buddy that is a sheep hunter just kind of laughed at me and said, that's nothing. Uh, that scares me Uh, and probably would take away some of the fun out of it, but something about like a float moose trip and someone, I had heard someone say at one point that some of the most fun they've ever had is a moose in the rut with a bow. I, I don't, I don't even know what to comprehend what that hunt would be like. And, and it's from what I have seen that, that seems to be the most appealing to me. Yeah. Oh, my, my buddy and I were thinking about a float moose hunt, but then when we were just kind of doing the same sort of thing, like what, what species do we want to go after? We want to go big, let's go to the interior. And we ended up uh, with the caribou um, hunt as, as our plan. But uh, I've had friends that do the the, care, the the float hunt for the moose. You just have to have a lot of gear. You have to have – there's some logistical issues with the put-in and the take-out or mm-hmm. if you're getting fly-out. I had some friends that have done the fly-out. One of my buddies, they were just going to float about 15 miles, and they came around the first corner. And within a quarter mile of, of where they put in, saw a moose. It uh, had the three brow time um, – regulation or, or fit the regulation so they had shot it and like, wow we could almost like row back to where we started that'd be easier but they decided to just keep keep going so right uh yeah i think that's that's definitely one of those iconic ones too um i think caribou in the tundra is just that screams alaska hmm. but i don't think a float for moose is is that far behind it it's definitely something that i would want to i want to do as well but i want to make sure it's it's planned well because it's pretty expensive to get up there and the logistics and the time so what are some other ways that, that you can get into that moose rut? Just fly in hunts or because I, I guess I'm not addicted to just floating down a river. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have that, that desire. It just seems like that's where a lot of the concentration of animals are. And it's a way of seeing a, a decent amount or I don't know. I don't, I'm not a moose hunter. I've just put in for my, my Shire's moose points and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so Alaska's kind of tough because it's so big and Southeast Alaska is a bunch of islands. So there are moose around, but not a lot of people in Alaska in Southeast Alaska hunt moose. Whereas I have some buddies in Anchorage who go to moose camp every year and it's just on their schedule, just like someone would have their mule deer camp, their whitetail camp. And so they've just got it dialed in and they go to the same spot, but they're there for 10 days they're they're really spending some time there they have their one camp and they go out from that but they they are they are very patient in that so um it's 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 developed they figure out the moose they can they they know and they're confident in the areas which is why they keep going back to it so i think that could be a difficult one because there could be some spots that look good on on x where you can get dropped off or you could maybe drive back further but or what if someone else drives back further and um, that could, that could be a tough one to, to figure out. And moose camp is a very, very private thing. People don't share their moose camps in order to get invited to certain people's moose camps. It's a, someone has to, someone has to die and you take their spot uh, or mm-hmm. there's a waiting list. And it's a, one of these years I hope to get an invite uh, and I'll have to make it work, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a different Different thing, but there are some some flyout opportunities, especially out in the um, 
Cuscoquim area and Bethel, Nome area like that. You got some, you got some good flat opportunities, but uh, there's just a lot more congestion because most of the population of Alaska lives in the Anchorage areas. Right. So you got people on the road system, jet boats, floats, a lot more traffic. What are some just good general resources for for people to to be looking at to to just help dream up their hunt to just start learning the system? Um, besides your podcast, you know, you know <laughs> yeah. there's, there's one. But what's uh, yeah. what are some other good resources for that? Um, I've had a couple buddies on to talk about moose and kind of that interior Alaska. So, uh, and they are, their podcast podcast is called Alaska wild projects. So they'd be good people to talk to and listen to, um, Tyler Freel up in Fairbanks. Uh, his podcast is called Tundra talk and they got a ton of sheep information, not where to go, but just some great information yeah. about sheep and like the Alaska wild project, same thing. They don't, they certainly don't share their their moose um, locations, but they do share their their moose stories. So I think those would be two good uh, kind of fun listens. Uh, I would say the fish and game website's pretty good as far as just general information. There's some stuff on YouTube out there, some stuff on Rockslide out there, but there are a ton of Alaskans who really just could not care. Just they don't care at all about putting stuff on YouTube or about advertising or writing about it or putting stuff on, on social media or even talking about it. Uh, some of my buddies that have podcasts around the state, you know, we're still, it's not amazing, but there's a lot of people who just don't listen to podcasts. Yeah. They, they go out and they, they listen to their, their music. They go out, they shoot their deer, they shoot their bear and they don't share at all. And it's, they're totally fine with it. There's some stuff on Facebook too. So, um, you know, maybe some Facebook forums, some rock slides, some YouTube, but um, you're going to get a lot of people who are from down south who have gone up to do their hunts, and sometimes the information will still be relevant, sometimes not, but yeah, it's out there. Okay. So you, you're, you've you got that uh, caribou hunt planned. Um, obviously, it kind of sounds like maybe a deer hunt as well, but and, and then you got some spring bear coming up. What's uh, black bear for this this spring? Or yeah, okay, gonna go uh, black bear this spring with uh, the same buddy. I'm gonna go up to to Fairbanks or the Hall Road uh, for caribou. With uh, we're gonna try to get um, black bear archery. Um, he's got a really good recipe for summer sausage. And I had some when we were up stuck on the mountain in uh, in a storm. He had one of those. Uh, seek outside tents the hot tents and oh man that was a i hate the word game changer but man that is true everyone uses game changer for for so many things right that these pair of socks are not game changers it's still just a pair of socks but to have a tent where you can dry out and when we were spending hours in there because it was just too soupy to do anything it was so nice to be able to dry out and um so we're going to go uh, archery for black bear in the next couple of weeks. They're starting to wake up a little bit now, which is nice in the season. Uh, you have to retain the meat and the hide until January or to until June 1st. After June 1st in this area, it's either uh, hide or meat. So we're looking for more meat than hide. We both kind of have rugs, and so we just kind of want to have some some summer sausage um so that'd be a, oh. or some you, you put in your chorizo mix you have beriso which is also very good um so that that'll be uh this spring and then late uh july heading up to to fairbanks for the caribou hunt and then come back and there's an over-the-counter mountain goat hunt he and i want to go on and and then uh just kind of overlap that with uh, with blacktail until november and then all of a sudden it's time to not draw sheep or anything else again <laughs> yeah um how does that how do you how do you what's your techniques for chasing the those spring bears with a bow is it, is it total spot and stock or like how's that how's that hunt even go there are some signs that you can find uh like a, a nice beach 
that has a lot of tidal influence. So when the tide is low, you get this nice grass flat that's uh, exposed. Or when the tide goes out, you have a nice beach and the beach has uh, mussels. And so you'll see bears that are flipping over rocks and they're eating the mussels or they're eating the grass. And so 45 minutes or so before sunset, you know, if you're in a good spot and the wind is good, and there's a beach with a grass flat, you got a pretty decent chance of, of seeing one in some of these areas just because the population is pretty good. So, uh, And you can e-scout that pretty good on Onyx. Just look for spots that uh, have have grassy edges. They're not rocky edges, uh, little inlets, coves, things like that that you can get to. The disadvantage of that, of course, is that you're shooting things right before dark, and if you do put a bad shot on a bear, uh, coming back the next day would probably be a good idea. Otherwise, you're you know going in there after it with uh, you know it's not it's not great. You know, a, a wounded bear that's that's not what you're uh, that's not what you want. You want it dead. So looking for coves uh, areas like that that like I said have have some grass. Um, if you go there and scout there a little bit earlier, you can look around and see if there's been some skunk cabbage, which is just a big leafy green if, if that's been dug up and you can see how fresh that is. You can see that there's bears around. Uh, those sort of things would be good uh, to check out. And then just uh, little of, creeks that come in. And then just using the shoreline to kind of cut the distance down or. Yeah. Yeah. So once you kind of look at a spot that says, Hey, this, this looks pretty berry because you either went to shore and you saw some of that stuff or there's a nice grass flat here. So then you can just uh, post up there and then uh, wait for the evening and, and see uh, see what comes out and um, stuff you're looking for. If you do see a bear, is uh, smaller ears kind of on the side of its head. If the ears look pretty big and they're kind of close together, you got a smaller bear. Um, but you know, if it's your you pay the money to to come up here and hunt a, a black bear and it's four hundred fifty bucks for the for the for the bear tag, you know, and you just want to put one down, then then go for it. So sure. the like you're saying with going in after a bear, a wounded bear in the dark, would you say the black bears are more aggressive there than in the lower 48? Cause I've been in contact with a lot of bears and maybe my first one, I remember this is a funny story. So my wife and I had just moved to Colorado from South Dakota and no kids, nothing. So we had time and ability to get out and went up just this little trail hiking and I saw a bear and my wife freaked, <laughs> absolutely freaked out because we're in South Dakota. There's there's bears all over the U.S. except South Dakota, minus the occasional one that goes through the Black Hills, like very ra- rarely. That was a, a totally new thing for her and me. Uh, and I just was kind of in shock, like, oh, yeah, there's one. There's I've never seen a bear. That's so cool. Uh, and, and she just, we had to turn around and leave. Right there, because she saw a, I don't even think, no, I think it was a mama, it was a sow and a cub, and just a itty-bitty little thing, and she, uh, we had to leave, but the, I forget where I was going, oh yeah, so it's just, I've seen, I had so many encounters with those, I've, I've hunted bears, I've gotten, you know, three bears so far, and hopefully my fourth, I'm going to go to Minnesota this year to, to shoot one with my bow, uh, but those uh those bears just like i don't really they don't i'm not worried about them at all like there's just nothing about them that makes me concerned and maybe that's a bad thing but um and i don't know any any inkling that they might be a little more aggressive just in that wilder country maybe dealing with having to deal with brown bears or i think if anything if you're if you're in an overlapped area where i hunt it's it's just uh black bear so I think if anything, these black bear here are not used to people, so a little bit more skittish. Sometimes you'll get some curious ones that kind of hang out a little, a little bit, but as far as being aggressive, there's so much food around here that you're not in competition. They don't see a competition, and as long as you don't look threatening uh, with the sow and cubs, then you're in pretty good shape. Brown bear is a little bit different. When we were making a stock through the woods at, at one that was on a grass flat, you know, I'm just thinking, man, we are – we were moving very quietly through some pretty thick woods to get at this brown bear. <laughs> what if there is another one around here? So that's a one totally different feeling. Because once you get in that dense uh, brush or woods or in that transition, it's a lot 
a lot more difficult to see what's going on. And so the likelihood of surprising something uh, definitely goes up. So and we, lo- we like to hunt in areas that it's just, it's just black bear. If it's wounded, of course, you know, you, you gotta be, you gotta be a little bit more concerned if there's a uh, sound cubs around then be concerned. But uh, for the most part, yeah, you know, they're pretty docile. They're, they're going to run away. They're more likely to, to run away than they are to attack. Um, so yeah. I'd love to hear your brown bear story. You said you had oh. had taken one of those. I don't know if that's bow or rifle, but love to hear that story. Uh, yeah, it was actually not that great of a story, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, my buddy and his and his uh, girlfriend at the time, now fiance, we just went out in their boat, um, we camped, and then in the evening we we set up camp, and then uh, we went. I don't know, it was early evening. Um, but I went further in the boat, anchored up, took a small inflatable to shore and just kind of looked around a little bit and glassed. And uh, we saw one taken off, uh, way back in this, um, you have these, the mountains that come down and then these rivers that, that come out. And so your wind is just very directional. So if it's blowing in, it's going up that valley and there's no chance. You don't have as much as, you know, texture and like small little, uh, areas it's either coming up the valley or coming down and so these flats are, are just like v's so we went up there um spooked that one and then figured out oh, it's fine went back in the boat camped and then the uh the next day we just were checking inlets going in there nothing in there nothing went back in this one that was just beautiful it was glacial carved rock that just went right down into the into the water and we were able to nose the boat right up to this waterfall and you know it was 200 feet uh deep just you know three feet from the rock it was just straight down in these wow. these fjords just beautiful so there were a couple creeks that it, that came in and and there were some grass flats there and we saw one that was just just swiping at these these rocks and flipping them over and eating stuff on the beach. And so we just kind of nosed in with the boat and it was low tide and there was a little bit of a mound from where the Creek came in. And so it was kind of on the other side. We just saw the top of its back and they don't have great vision, uh, just like black, black bears. So we were able to, to nose in, um, anchor quietly, get to shore and then just kind of snuck in and I was shooting a 270 with, with 220 grain bullets and I just airmailed the first one. It was about a 200 yard shot. And then it, it uh, didn't really know what was going on. It was kind of looking around and sort of running kind of toward us, but not at full bore, just really confused about what was happening. And so it ended up being pretty close in front. And then I, I shot it. It looked like a, like a young boar had that pronounced hump on its back. Um, but it ended up being an old, old sow. It was crazy. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, the stock took maybe about 10 minutes. Once you get to shore and you just cut, you cut into the woods, cut the distance, you're moving over. It's, it's nerve wracking to be in the woods. when you know you're in brown bear territory. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they're just out on the, out on the flats. Um, she was eating and she, there were no cubs around. She was past her, uh, her breeding days. And it just makes you think that, man, you know, that, that thing is old and that thing was really hadn't apparently learned a whole lot because there hadn't been so many people around that you hear a noise, you're out of there. You know, you smell the, the exhaust from a motor, then you're out of there. Or, you know, you just, you just hanging out and there's what are people. So it was cool to be in some of that territory and, um, was second shot dropped it and that was it was that a did you get an age on it or is it just you could see the teeth wear not yet uh it takes about a year to get the, the teeth back um it should be pretty quick and they the teeth that they usually take when you go to take it in to get sealed both of those teeth were worn down oh. um and so they had to go to like the third option which was you know they're like, oh, this is this is an old bear. Uh, they didn't really guess at it, but uh, it was it was kind of crazy because you, you, the sows don't have that pronounced hump, and so when you're trying to identify the bear, you kind of look for that pronounced hump on the back, and so that's why we thought it was it was maybe a younger boar. 
And when we came up to it, it's uh, like stomach and on the side a little bit was just bare um, from sleeping on a hibernation. And we just thought, man, like this thing, and it was, it was kind of, kind of thin, had a big head, but it was just more because it was thin. It wasn't a massive bear, but you looked at the hump and you look at the, the big head and you think, Oh man, this is a, this is a nice boar, but with no frame of reference. So, you know, we just thought, man, I wonder if she just, didn't expect to wake up this last year. You know, she came out of hibernation was like, ah, oh, gosh, dang another one. But, uh, yeah, old and, and bare in a couple spots, but, uh, but beautiful coat. That's something else. I, I think walking up on a bear is, and I can't imagine a brown bear. That's, that's something else. It's a different kind of feeling. Uh, yeah. the, are they edible? Uh, we didn't eat this one. Just she was so old. I know that some people up north uh, will eat them, and a lot of people don't hunt them just because you know the the meat isn't uh, isn't good. They're just carnivores, and they eat so much. Uh, black bear can taste pretty good because they eat a lot of berries. They also eat a lot of grass, so the meat can be a lot sweeter, a lot more palatable. Whereas your your brown bears are just the carnivores, and the meat. Right. Uh, I've never tried it, but. Uh, you know, in most areas, I don't even know if there is an area in Alaska that you're required to take the meat. You're required to take the skull and the hide and get that sealed. But yeah, you know, that's, it's generally that's so just kind of a predator control. Yeah, yeah, so interesting that two bear species. One is, and I I've heard the same thing, and I'm pretty familiar with that same law. I knew you didn't really need to take any meat, but uh, interesting concept. It's pretty widely spread i i hear southwest u.s that javelina is almost unpalatable um mm. but other people say no it's a game species you're going to take the meat and you're required to take the meat and you give it a try you just have to handle it a little differently like a coyote yeah there's no way i'm eating a coyote <laughs> no way <laughs> and it's probably got that similar because it's just a massive predator where it's just eaten junk and dead stuff yeah. and and obviously the brown bears the same way just not any good what uh yeah. what about the black bears is it, you guys around you have have uh ones that are like super good are they fish eaters what makes a good tasting bear besides i suppose it would be berries and everything but area wise how do you know if you're going into an area that's got got something that's going to be a good eater Spring is going to be a good time because the creeks don't have rivers or just creeks don't have rivers and the uh, creeks don't <laughs> yeah. have fish in them yet. And so you're not going to get fish that are just looking at the dead ones and black bears are scavengers. And so, you know, you look at those pictures of, of brown bears that are catching fish in their mouth. A lot of the bears down here, they're just looking for the easiest ones to just kind of scoop on shore or even like partly dead and they'll just eat the skull um, or they'll rip up in the guts and, and eat the eggs so, you know, they're, they're, they're getting these fish that are way past their prime and are already like half dead. And so that is what they're eating. So your fall bears can just have a horrible um, taste to it. And most people, like you're not required to take the meat in the fall, but some people don't want to get too close to the rivers just because the, the hide is going to stink so bad and the bear is going to stink so bad. So. Uh, spring is nice because they can be in accessible areas near those creeks, but because those creeks don't have fish in it, they're going to taste better, um, more of a grass-type diet. And then uh, alpine bear hunting can be a lot of fun. Um, I've never taken an alpine bear, but that's when you get a, a good opportunity for them to be tasting like berries because they will, before they drop down to the rivers to just gorge themselves on fish before they um, hibernate, they'll just be mowing down blueberries. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty cool to watch. They just gorge themselves, just mm. sit in a bush and just eat, just strip those things. It's fun to kind of watch that, but that's going to be the bear that's going to taste good. So that, that could be an August, September type thing. Interesting. Um, yeah. Well, um, I want to end right there. That's uh, just a, gives us a good intro on a lot of pieces of Alaska, and gives us a good understanding of a couple things, and that it's a very doable, doable thing, and maybe not the sheep hunt because it's <laughs> honestly becoming more of a rich man sport and a really lucky yeah, man sport. Um, for sure, I think your I think your best odds are probably like the 
the lesson one club with the at the sheep show yeah <laughs> to, to be able to draw something like that uh but and it's just it's almost disappointing like knowing that you're just never going going to it, it, you've got a much better shot being a resident there but i know i'm never going to shoot at all sheep it's just not going to happen it's not in my cars yeah but maybe yeah, it, there, maybe there's some there's some good tags that you can get over the counter here if you're a resident but even there it's like yeah well yeah whatever you know what freaks me out though is the fact and i've heard this that people freak out until they get to the animal it's just full curl requirement it's like oh yeah that it's just like yeah how do you how do you absolutely know absolutely yeah. well unless you've had your hands on multiple to be able to see and to know what that looks like unless you shoot yeah. an absolute giant uh yeah but be able to count those rings or it has to be like nine or whatever the requirement is but that's a yeah that's a that's a scary thing so i guess I, i'm glad yeah. i won't have to deal with that because i'm never going to all <laughs> yeah but, well if you would again just plug your plug your podcast and where people can learn more about hunting alaska Great. Um, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. People can go to the mediocrealaskan.com. That's where I post all of my podcast episodes. I post my columns for the Juno Empire. I uh, have some videos and some links to hunting black bear, hunting deer, uh, some notes about uh, hunting even mule deer and elk down in Wyoming, and then the caribou hunt. So there's a lot of stuff in there that I've compiled over the last couple of years. So anything you could or most things that you would want to know about hunting in Southeast Alaska and Alaska in general uh, at the mediocrealaskan.com. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you're probably finishing up uh, the school year and ready for ready to kick kids out for the, for the summer. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's getting to be that long stretch. I was a classroom yeah. teacher as well. I know the, the long stretch there uh, to the end can be a little daunting. So, yeah. But well, all right, well, thanks so much and, and have a good rest of your evening. Hey, you too. Take care. But it ain't my ground. This is God's country.